What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Welcome back, everybody. First of all, first of all, I want to apologize for this episode being a day late. I just got back from a trip to Disney World. Hopefully you guys can't hear it in my voice. I'm still a little raspy, um, but I don't think it's too bad. But I just did not have the time to finish researching this case to get it out on our normal Thursday day. So here it is a day late apologies um but thank you all for being so understanding on instagram and facebook when we post about it i appreciate you all um one other quick thing i wanted to mention is the eliza fletcher case yeah um she if you didn't know she was missing um after she went missing after she was jogging in memphis and a suspect was arrested and she was still missing and then unfortunately she was found no longer alive Mm -hmm. um so the suspect has been arrested and um is going to court and he's being charged with murder i believe and everything um so we won't be sharing about that case. We've gotten a couple of requests to like cover the case. We might eventually, but as of right now, I don't think we're going to cover it in full depth. But I did want to mention it because a lot of people are, you know, sharing about running safety. A lot of women have come out and said, I run all the time mm-hmm. in the dark, in the early morning hours, at, the, at night. And it's just so terrible that yeah. so many women, one, have to worry about that and to have experienced things like that um so I just wanted to mention it and you know if you guys have tips if you are a runner or somebody who walks and when it's dark out or even when it's light out I mean you guys have tips to share please share them with us and we will share reshare them on our Instagram or even on the podcast because I mean I walk my dogs in a very safe neighborhood and still carry mace with me just because makes me feel safer um but i know that there's a lot of other tips especially for women who are out alone so yeah i just wanted to mention that and we'll maybe put a post up in our facebook group and then we uh you can like dm us on instagram or send us an email and we'd be happy to share it because nobody deserves to have what happened to eliza happen to them and i think it's important to share i got I surprisingly I got several messages from people who listen to our podcast and they felt so connected to her case because she was a mom, she was a yeah. runner, like so many women messaged me and and were like this could have been me. Like I run at four o'clock in the morning, you know, every day. And yeah. it is scary and it's completely unfair that women and men, but mostly women, have to worry about this. Like it's beyond unacceptable and my our thoughts prayers well wishes you know sympathy is with her family and her loved ones because no nobody should have to go through this no not at all and if we see any type of fundraiser or anything to help the family we will definitely share that as well so keep your eyes peeled on our instagram and facebook yes that's where we share this type of stuff um but yeah send us in your your tips for safety and we'll definitely reshare those. 
Okay, so getting into today's case, today we are going to be talking about the Turpin siblings and the house of horrors that they grew up in. Mm. And this has been suggested so many times, and so I finally decided to cover it for you guys. I do want to do this in the most respectful way possible to the victims because they are still out there. They are still struggling, as you'll hear. Mm. So I'm only going to be sharing information from interviews that they've done and what has been widely released. You know, I found some information here and there that was released just by certain outlets. I'm not going to talk about any of that because I don't want anything that they don't want getting out there to be out there. Right. And all of the siblings, specifically Jordan and Jennifer, who have done an interview with ABC 2020, are incredibly strong and they deserve for their story to be told. And Jennifer Turpin, the oldest of the children, said in an interview, quote, I want my name, the Turpin name, to be seen as, wow, they're strong. And that's why I want to share their story today. Awesome. Let's get into it. Okay. David Allen Turpin was born on October 17th, 1961 to James and Betty Turpin, and he grew up in West Virginia, a shy, nerdy kid with a bowl cut and a (laughs) stutter. He was really smart, and he attended Virginia Tech University studying computer engineering, and when he graduated, he got a job working for Lockheed Martin, a very large, prominent Mm -hmm. engineering company. And he eventually would also work for General Dynamics and Northrop Grumman, other large engineering companies. And he held high positions in these companies. He was making a good living. He was doing really well in his career. Awesome. Louise Robinette was born May 24th, 1968. And unfortunately, she was born into an abusive household. Mm. Her sister, Teresa, later said that her and her siblings and their cousins were constantly abused by their maternal grandfather in exchange for money. Oh, my God. And Teresa recalls Louise kind of to help get through it, becoming obsessed with witchcraft when she was older and said that she was always engaging in rituals in her free time. Okay. Louise met David while they were attending West Virginia High School or while she was attending West Virginia High School. David was eight years older than her, though. Oh. When Louise was 16 and David was 24, they decided to run away to Texas and elope. Okay, that's illegal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very illegal. And because of that, Louise's parents filed a police complaint against them because she wasn't an adult. Right. So the two returned to West Virginia, and they basically were dating. And when they returned, Louise's father allowed the couple to remain together. And in 1984, they got legally married with her parents' blessing and moved to Texas. Okay. Following what they say is their Christian faith, the couple had a lot of children saying, quote, God called on them to do so. Yeah, there's a lot of people that believe that, you know. So between 1988 and 2015, they had 10 daughters and three sons. Wow. The first of their children being born when Louise was just 18 and David was 26. So Jennifer, the firstborn, the oldest of the siblings, recalled that when she was about two years old, she witnessed her father yelling at her mother and punching the wall. Mm. So she definitely witnessed her father's anger from a young age. And she also said that her mother had unpredictable mood swings and she never knew what side of her mother she would get when talking to her. 
Jennifer actually went to public school when she was young and she would show up with dirty hair, dirty clothes, and she didn't realize it at the time, but the way her parents didn't care for her kind of prevented her from making friends. That's so sad. That's really honestly so sad. I know. And at the time, she didn't know why, you know, she didn't know what was going on. But she attended Meadow Creek Elementary School through the third grade when her parents decided to pull her out of school and homeschool her. Very loose definition of homeschool mm-hmm. here. And they never sent another kid to school again. Jeez. And actually later in 2018, after the story of the Turpin family broke, there was a man that came forward that went to school with Jennifer when they were kids. And in a Facebook post... He said that no one would sit with Jennifer and everybody kind of thought of her as like the outsider and nobody would go and be friends with her. And he said, quote, I can't help but feel an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. Yeah. Friend the Jennifer Turpins of the world. For real. It's not their fault. And like, you're no better. Yeah. And to be that mean and nasty just because somebody's different, they look different, they dress different, whatever, like. Teach your kids better, and it's sad that, you know, her parents neglected her. Yeah, exactly. And this guy that came forward basically said, like, what you just said, teach your children. And like I said, he said, befriend the Jennifer Turbins of the world. Don't treat people like this. So I thought that was really sweet. When I was in elementary school, there was um, a family, and they were – they. it was like a – husband and wife and they had a ton of kids and they lived in this teeny tiny house and all the kids like smelt horrible and like didn't have their hair brushed and they were all on like you know free lunch and things like that so they got picked on and made fun of so much and it used to make me so freaking Mm -hmm. mad because I didn't know back then you know oh it's their parents fault but I was thinking in my head they can't help it like whatever the reason is like they can't help no one wants to be like that So it just, it would make me so mad, but it was like six, there was like six kids or something that all went to elementary school. And it's hard for kids because they can't understand that. And all they see is like, oh, this person smells bad. I don't want to hang out with them, but they can't understand that. So yeah, we need to teach our kids to be be better better ourselves. Yeah, definitely. So from 1984 to 1999, the Turbin family lived in Fort Worth, Texas. And then in 99, they decided to move to the neighboring town of Rio Vista, where they lived for the next eight years. So David was commuting to work at Lockheed Martin, and the family would be out and about taking family photos outside of the house, looking like a normal, happy family. But when they, were went, home, when they went home, the kids were locked inside the house. David and Louise were using the Bible to explain the horrid behavior against their children, even saying that if the children didn't listen, they had the right to kill them. Okay. Mm, I'd love to see where it says that in the Bible. (laughs) Jeez. That's awful. It, It was terrible. And then in 2007, the Turpins decided to move the oldest 10 children to an isolated trailer on the property. What? So they basically moved them into this back trailer, essentially leaving them to fend for themselves while David and Louise lived in the house with the two youngest children. Oh, my God. They would bring the older 10 groceries weekly, but it was never enough food to feed everyone. And Jordan Turpin, who was six at the time, later said that, quote, there was a lot of starving. 
And she said that she had often resorted to eating ketchup or mustard or ice. That is. Wow. Yeah. And during this time, Jennifer, the oldest, was forced to discipline her siblings. So her parents would force her to put her siblings in cages that they had constructed. And they said that if she didn't do that to discipline them, that they would put her in a cage. Oh, my gosh. It was terrible. That's inhumane. Yeah. It is. And they lived like that for about three years. And then when they moved away from Rio Vista in 2010, neighbors went to the home and they found beds with ropes tied to them. They found dead cats, piles of garbage, and feces everywhere inside the house. But unfortunately, there wasn't much they could do because, yeah, you can report it, but you can't really prove anything. So at this point, the family moved to Paris, California, which is a railway city in Riverside County, basically between L.A. and San Diego. So Paris is about 71 miles or 114 kilometers southeast of L.A. They were all living under one roof again, and David Turpin was newly working at Northrop Grumman. So he was making good money. He had a Mustang. He had another car with a, another car with a vanity plate that said DL Forever, like David and Louise oh Forever. <laughs> and when they moved there, neighbors observed the Turpin children were very quiet. They noticed that they only really spoke when they were spoken to. Anytime the kids would be out in public, they would be told to not to speak to strangers. And they were also kind of told what to say if they were asked questions. So their parents would say, if somebody asks what grade you're in, tell them this or whatever. Okay. When they were outside, they appeared malnourished and pale. But unfortunately, there wasn't much the neighbors could do. And David and Louise kept their children hidden behind closed blinds. They weren't really allowed to look out the windows. And they told their children that if they said or did something out of line while in public, Child Protective Services would come and separate Mm. them. And they basically made their children believe that CPS was the worst thing in the world. They would come and they would be put into cages and starved or abandoned. Like they made it sound like it was worse than this horrible what they were dealing with. Exactly. Now, around this time, Luis had a, quote, manic pattern of shopping sprees. Hmm. So she would buy excessive amounts of children's toys, games, children's clothes, and all this stuff that she would hoard, but she would not allow her children to use any of them. Why? Why would she buy it? That's so stupid. She just had this, like, shopping addiction, but she was so awful to her children that she was like, you can't touch any of it. But she was racking up an insane amount of credit card debt because of this. And despite David's career success, in 2011, the Turpins filed for bankruptcy after not being able to pay off $240,000 of credit card debt. Damn, that's a lot of credit card debt. And the kids were eating little to nothing, while David and Louise would pretty much eat whatever they want. They'd have fast food and frozens and all of this and the parents would claim that they couldn't afford food for the children because the children were stealing what (laughs) yeah so the turbans also claimed to be homeschooling their children their homeschool was called the sandcastle day school with david listed as the principal and louise listed as the teacher Uh. but the family was just completely using the homeschooling system to hide what they were doing They definitely were not teaching their children, but on top of that, they weren't even sending them to school because teachers are mandatory reporters. So Mm -hmm. if they suspect something is happening, they They have have to report it. And 
the Turpins were knew that and so they were not going to send them to school. And the school system like never really checked on the status of the homeschool and David was also very manipulative in how he filed things. Yeah. So they were able to keep it hidden. And in the like in that time the kids were trying to teach each other when their parents were gone because they all really wanted to learn. So they would try to teach mm-hmm. each other what they know and then they would teach back and you know try to learn as much as they could. Yeah. Wow, that's awful. One of the most infamous things about this case is the family photo of all of them at Disneyland wearing matching (laughs) t-shirts. And David and Louise had a very strong affinity for Disney and they went, they took the the family to Disneyland and on the trip they seemed happy. But of course, what was hiding behind those smiles was something nobody could have imagined. I'm going to look the picture up because I got to see this. Oh, I remember this. I remember these people. Yeah, and I will post the picture on our Instagram because it's a very infamous picture. And it's just so sad seeing, like, what should be such a happy, fun day. But you know that these kids are actually miserable. Miserable, yeah. So in 2013, David and Louise either got married or renewed their vows. I couldn't figure out exactly which one it was. I thought they were already married, so I'm thinking they just, like, renewed their vows or something. But either way... They were in a chapel, Louise was wearing a white dress, and all of the kids were there in matching outfits. And there's video and photos of them dancing, singing with their parents, and Jennifer recalled in her ABC 2020 interview that at the chapel, she remembered feeling heartbroken because while they were happy to be out of the house when they were there, she knew that they were not the big happy family that her parents were trying to portray. Man. There's also a picture from this that I'll share with you guys because, again, they look, they're smiling, they look happy, they just look like a big family, but you never know what's happening behind those smiles. And they're kids, so, like, in the moment, they are probably happy and having fun, but they don't have that, like, necessarily, like, the anxiety and the worry to think about what's going to happen, especially the younger kids. But, yeah, it's just so sad because... Obviously, all these horrible things were happening behind the scenes. Yeah, and Jordan remembered that they would get, like, all nice and cleaned up for outings like this, and then they'd go home and go right back into their dirty clothes, Mm -hmm. be right back in their disgusting house. So she was like, why can't we just be this happy family that we are when we're out? By 2015, the Turpin children had had enough, and they started to plan their escape from their parents. Wow. So by this point, some of the older children had smartphones. Um, They were, you know, trusted. They were so manipulated by their parents that their parents knew they weren't going to do anything. Yeah. And one day, 14-year-old Jordan came across a Justin Bieber music video on one of those phones. Oh, no. So she started watching music videos and interviews with him. And with this, she started realizing that there was a better world out there. So she saw nice houses, she saw Justin Bieber with his friends, and she started learning more words and ideologies just from listening to him. And her mindset was starting to change, and she wanted to reach the outside world. She started seeing, hey, there actually is a good world out there. So she began writing songs and recording her singing them when her parents were gone. And she started posting those online, and she was trying to get people to follow her on social media. So cute. So she did get some followers, and one follower started asking questions like, why was she always inside? Why was she always up really late? Like, what are you doing? And she 
basically started talking about how her life was, how she wasn't really allowed to eat a lot. She wasn't allowed to leave the house. And this person told her through social media that that wasn't right and that she should call the cops. And that basically solidified it for Jordan. So she was like, wow, somebody else is telling me this isn't right. Okay, this is not how life is supposed to be. I need to do something about this. And then one day in 2015, Jordan was caught secretly watching a Justin Bieber music video by her mom. And Louise choked her. Oh, my God. To punish her. What? Yeah. And this led to Jordan having intense nightmares that she was dying. And one day she woke up from that nightmare and she was like, I need to get out of this house. But that would take over two more years to come to fruition. Jordan began working on a plan. She was going to her sisters and older siblings for advice. Jennifer had actually tried to escape in the past but had failed. But she shared all of the tips that she could with Jordan. She drew a map of what she knew about the outside of the house, but she was very unsure. But she basically was doing her best to try to, you know, get Jordan all the help that she could. Yeah. Jordan had also once seen the TV show Cops (laughs) and had seen on that show that police would ask for proof of what was happening. So because of that, she took photos of her siblings and the inside of the house using that phone that she was hiding from her parents. Good for her. That's really smart. Yeah, she was really smart. And she was really nervous. But in early 2018, Jordan overheard her mother saying that the family was going to be moving to Oklahoma and that when they moved, all of the children would be chained up. (gasps) So she knew that she had to, if she she was going to escape, this was her chance. What is wrong with these people? They have all these kids and then they treat them like Mm -hmm. that. And in the, in the mm-hmm. name of God, basically, like, no. Yep. Awful. Mm. On January 14th, 2018, Jordan Turpin decided it was time. She changed into clean clothes and put pillows under a blanket on her bed to make it look like she was still there. And in the early morning hours, she hopped out, out of the windowsill of the bedroom and ran away from the house. And she can be seen on security footage from across the street doing so. That's amazing. What she didn't know at the time was that five minutes after she ran away, one of her younger siblings also hopped out of the window looking (gasps) for her. Oh, no. But she slowly returned back to the house, climbing back in the window and thankfully not being caught. Okay. Jordan was determined, though, and she later said, quote, at least if something happened to me, at least I died trying. Oh, my God. Yeah. So once she was far enough from the house, Jordan pulled out that old deactivated cell phone she had hidden and brought with her, and she called 911. And while that audio is available, I'm not going to play it for you. I'll just tell you what was said. So Jordan says, "Um, I just ran away from home. Dispatcher, do you know what street you're on? Jordan, "Um, no, Uh, I just ran away from home because I live in a family of 15. Okay, can you hear me? And we have abusing parents. How old is she at this point? 17. Okay. Dispatcher. Okay, how do they abuse you? Jordan. Okay, they hit us. They like to throw us across the room. They pull our hair. They yank out our hair. I have two. My two little sisters right now are chained up. The dispatcher then asked how old Jordan was and what her name was, and then she said, I'm going to connect you to the sheriff's department. Don't hang up. Jordan later recalled that she could barely dial 911 because her whole body was shaking so hard because of how terrified she was. I bet. She had never spoken with another person on the phone, 
and had rarely been out of the house. Mm. So the second dispatcher that picked up asked for her location, and she told them that because she'd barely left the house, she didn't really know the surrounding street. Right. They were able to track her, thankfully, more or less, and they sent a police officer to her area, and then she finally saw a stop sign and told the dispatcher, and the dispatcher said, okay, wait there, an officer will come to you. Jordan also had grabbed a piece of an envelope as she was leaving the house or before she left and she was able to figure out her house address from that envelope so that was good but she was terrified because she knew that if her parents found her they would kill her Mm. oh my gosh she said on the phone to the second dispatcher quote the reason i ran away from home is because the chains were making places and they would wake up at night and they would start crying and they wanted me to call somebody to tell them so i wanted to call y'all so y'all could help my sisters So that was one of the, like, driving factors was her sisters were being hurt so badly that she wanted to help them. She also told the dispatcher that her family lived in filth so bad that some mornings she woke up not being able to breathe. And she said that the last time she had had a bath was almost a year earlier. Oh, my goodness. In a later interview, Jordan recalled how she knew that she had to escape and stay brave because she needed to help her siblings. What a huge responsibility she must have felt. Like so, That's so not fair. Even though she's 17, like, that's so not fair. Yeah. Now, because the phone Jordan was using was deactivated, it could only be used for an outgoing call to 911. Right. So because of that, the dispatcher was doing everything she could to keep Jordan on the phone, because if she hung up, they wouldn't be able to reach her again. So the dispatcher kept asking questions, including her siblings' names and, names and ages, And their names had never been shared, but their ages at the time were 2, 11, 13, 14, 16, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, 25, and 29. And then her at 17. Oh my, there was grown people? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's insane. That's literally insane. Yeah. (laughs) So when the first police officer from the Riverside County Sheriff's Department arrived to Jordan at 6.11 a.m. on January 14th, she was extremely nervous. There is police body cam footage from this night. I won't be sharing any of the audio from it, but Jordan later recalled how nervous she was because she had never had a conversation with a stranger, and she also didn't know if he was going to believe her. Right. So she can be heard telling the deputy that her two youngest siblings were chained to their beds or two of her younger siblings were chained to their beds because they had stolen their mom's candy because of how hungry they were. She told him that she had never spoken with someone alone and so she didn't know how to speak well and understandably so he was kind of skeptical of her story at first. First of all, she looked a lot younger than she said she was, and she, she was talking all over the place. That's malnourishment for you. I mean. Exactly. So he was asking her questions like if she took medication, and her response to that was, what's medication? So when he clarified, do you take pills? She said, quote, I don't think I've ever taken a pill before. Mm. So this officer, Deputy Anthony Kalachi, had taken the runaway call that night Because it was the end of a long shift, and he figured it would be like every other runaway call, he'd take the kid back to their parents' house, and that would be that. Dang. But he felt like this was different, and he asked Jordan if she had any picture proof of what she was saying, and Jordan said yes. So she showed Deputy Kalachi photos she had taken of what the inside of the house looked like. 
She had pictures of her sisters chained at the wrists, filthy mm-hmm. and bruised, clearly malnourished. And that's when Deputy Kalachi knew she was telling the truth. So he ushered her into his police car and kept asking her questions. And that's when Jordan recalled that another one of her siblings, a brother, was also chained up. By around 7.30 that morning, just an hour and a half after Jordan had escaped from the home, the police had organized a quote-unquote welfare check on the family. Okay. So they pulled up to the house in the quiet neighborhood that Sunday morning, and they knocked on the door. So because it was a welfare check where a child might be in danger, the police did not need a warrant to enter, but they still knocked for over two minutes before anyone even came to the door. Oh, I bet they were shitting their pants. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And Luis and David both answered the door, and in the body cam footage, they're seemingly confused as to why the police would even be there. They're like, what's going on? Why are you here? What happened? Right. When the deputies entered the home, they pretty much immediately knew that they had to get the kids out. The home reeked of human feces, decaying garbage, moldy food, and dead animals. Ew. The white walls were so dirty that they were gray. No. The carpets were caked in filth, and there was black mold on the shower floor. Oh my gosh. That's disgusting. Yeah. So at first, the deputies were trying to keep everyone calm and determine to determine what was going on. One was speaking with David and Louise, saying, we got a call. And the other started walking around. And that's when they found the true horrors. No. They found 12 children inside of the home, including one boy shackled to a bed where he had been for weeks. So he was just laying there in his own filth. Yeah. That's awful. Two other girls, the ones from Jordan's photos, appeared to have been shackled to the beds until right before the officers arrived. So that's probably what they were doing in the two and a half yeah. minutes that they were knocking. Yep. So one once the deputies found them and found, you know, the marks on their wrists, they started searching for the chains and they found them in the closet of the girls' rooms. And with that, they arrested David and Louise Turpin and escorted them out of the house. So all 13 children were taken to the hospital to be evaluated. They were all bruised and caked with dirt. They were so malnourished and frail that the deputies that were doing the raid that morning thought that they were all under 18 years old. But seven of them were over 18. The oldest, Jennifer, was 29 and she weighed 82 pounds. Oh, my God. The 11-year-old had an arm circumference of a four-month-old baby. No. They were so emaciated that they had difficulty walking. They had heart damage from a lack of nutrients, and they had stunted growth. Mm. They also lacked basic knowledge of the world, like who the police were and what medicine was. Mm-hmm. And their speech and language was also limited. The doctors and nurses at the hospital gave the kids food, clean clothes, and safe rooms, and they were brought to tears while they were seeing these children finally safe, and they gave these kids all of the kindness that they had never received. Oh my gosh. Jennifer, who was 29 at the time of the escape, recalled in an interview that the first time she felt freedom was when she was in the hospital, and she was able to get off of her bed on the open, clean floor and dance to the music that was playing. That is so sweet and precious. I know, right? Oh my gosh. And pure. Just pure. Yeah. I know. So officers searching the house found hundreds of journals written by the children over the years about their lives. Mm. So from those and interviews with the children, 
Officers learned that the kids were punished for any small infraction, being thrown across rooms, pushed downstairs, or beaten. They were also not allowed to eat or leave the home, and they were often chained up as punishment. It's disgusting. Yeah. So David and Louise Turpin were charged with 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent adult, and 6 counts of child abuse. David was also charged with lewd act on a child under 14. Mm. Over the years, David had also filed several affidavits with the California Department of Education claiming that his children were being educated in private school, uh-huh. and he was charged with perjury in relation to that. Louise's bail was set at $9 million and David's at $12 million, which yeah. they could not afford. Right. So they were held in prison while awaiting their trial. As they should have been. And Louise's <laughs> lawyer actually requested that she be placed in a pre-trial diversion program for mental health treatment due to her diagnosis of histrionic personality disorder. Okay, but still. The judge denied this request, saying she was a risk to the public. Good. So at the very beginning, both David and Louise actually pleaded... Not guilty. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Are you fucking... Nope. On what grounds? <laughs> on what yep. motherfucking grounds? Who knows? Yeah, they're insane. But on February 22nd, 2019, they both changed their pleas to guilty to one count of torture, three counts of willful child cruelty, and four counts of false imprisonment, along with six counts of cruelty to an, an adult dependent. Wow. At their sentencing, they were weeping while their sentencing was being read yeah because they got caught (laughs) yeah two of their children spoke at their sentencing their oldest son saying quote i cannot describe in words what we went through growing up but that is the past and this is now i'm getting a bachelor's degree in software engineering in june of last year i learned how to ride a bike i also have learned how to advocate for myself how to swim how to eat healthy and prepare a balanced meal Jennifer, the oldest daughter, also spoke at her parents' sentencing, looking them dead in the eyes and saying, quote, My parents took my whole life from me, but now I'm taking my life back. They almost changed me, but I realized what was happening. I immediately did what I could to not become like them. I'm strong, and I'm shooting through life like a rocket. Aww. Isn't that, that awesome? Yeah, I do. I love that. So David and Luis also spoke at their, their hearings. David said that he missed... And was praying for his children and that he hopes one day he will have contact with them again. Uh, immediately no. <laughs> yeah, immediately no. Luis apologized for all she had done and said, quote, I want them to know that mom and dad are going to be okay. Who gives a fuck about like, you? fuck right off. Who gives a fuck about you, bitch? I yeah. hope you rot in prison. Mm-hmm. <sighs> So Jennifer said that when she first heard her parents' apology and they were, like, sobbing, she did believe them. But then she remembered how manipulative they both were. So she said she's not sure what the truth is if they actually are sorry, but she doesn't want to see them. No, and I don't blame her, and she has every right. And every single one of those kids deserves everything in the whole entire world, I swear. Oh, yeah, a thousand percent. So both David and Louise Turpin were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility Mm. of parole after 25 years. Today, David resides in the California State Prison and Louise is in the Central California Women's Facility. So in January 2018, after the children were removed from the home and their parents were arrested, 
all 13 of them spent several weeks in the hospital, of course. There they were treated for several issues, including heart damage, cognitive impairments, and Mm. neuropathy. Once they were physically recovered, the six minors were put into two separate foster homes. And unfortunately, five of the younger children were then adopted in October 2019 into another abusive family. (gasps) Are you fucking kidding me? No. And some sources say they were fully adopted. Some say it was like a a more permanent foster situation. But either way, these new parents reportedly physically abused the children, forced them to eat excessively. Excessively? Damn. Yeah, and then they would force them to eat their own vomit. I'm yeah. speechless. Yeah. The father was accused of grabbing and fondling the girls and kissing them on the mouth. Ew. And more. Eventually, thankfully, those parents were arrested and, a charged, and charged with abusing multiple children in their care. So the younger Turpin children were moved to another home. Those poor kids, man. In early 2020, the Riverside County DA reported that the children were living independently, going to school, working, and that one had graduated from college. Wow. However, investigations by ABC 2020 found that some of the children are now being neglected by Riverside County Social Services, while others are homeless. Are you kidding me? No, and it gets worse. So they found that the money raised and donated to the Turpin children was put into a trust controlled by a court-appointed public guardian. And the children have pretty much not been able to access those funds. Hmm. Joshua Turpin, who is the oldest son who spoke at the hearing, said he was not even allowed to purchase a bike. Well, what's the point of having the funds then if it's not to help these people? Exactly. Jordan Turpin, who was the one that escaped and saved her siblings, said that she was at one point released from a foster home without warning and without plans for housing, knowledge of how to get food and health care, or any other life skills. Jeez. Now, the, the court-appointed Riverside Public Guardian, whose name is Vanessa Espinoza, did not help to ensure that the older children were in safe homes and had what they needed. So she was, the six older children were assigned to her. Mm -hmm. She was their public guardian after they were rescued. She was a deputy public guardian for Riverside County, and she also worked in real estate on the side. Joshua Turpin actually sent a video diary to ABC 2020, so he does not want to be in a video or his face shown, but he sent this video diary to them. And in that, he said, quote, the public guardian responsible for managing the siblings' health care, nutrition, housing, and education routinely denied simple requests, including requesting a bike for transportation. What's the, what, what's the yeah. point of your fucking job then? Exactly. The adult Turpin children who spoke with ABC 2020 said that Espinoza was often unwilling to help them with even their basic needs, like learning how to use public transportation or how to access their medical benefits. Shame on her. Shame on her. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. And on the ABC 2020 episode, they literally showed a selfie of her and like (laughs) a video of her like that she posted on her public Instagram. But on top of that, Joshua said, quote, when I would ask her for help, she would tell me, just Google it. Uh, what if he doesn't even know how to Google something? Exactly. Like some of these children probably don't even know how to read. Adults even. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Idiot. So legitimate requests from the siblings to use private donations have been turned down over and over, and there's no reason why. ABC tried to contact Espinoza as part of their investigation, and she kept avoiding them. And then the day after they visited her real estate office and she basically got into her car and ran home, (laughs) they were informed that her employment with the county had ended. But no other explanations or information was given. So they should appoint a new a new public, public guardian. guardian yeah but no information about if because that abc episode came out in november 2021 so no other information about if that has changed or anything okay. has been released in july 2022 the turpin siblings filed a lawsuit in the riverside county superior court against the foster care agency that placed them in the home where they were subjected to further abuse So one lawsuit represents two of the older siblings and the other represents four of the younger siblings. And it is against Riverside County, Foster Family Network, ChildNet Youth, and Family Services. And it is currently ongoing, so there's not a lot of information about it out there right now. Okay. Through all of this, the county claims that they are conducting a thorough review of what happened to the Turpin siblings after they were rescued. And that's why we need to keep their names and stories in the media. You know, this was a very well-known case when Jordan first escaped. There were huge stories on major networks. But today, they're often just remembered as the kids who lived in a house of horrors. And many people, including myself before I did the research for this case, are not aware of the hardships that they are still facing. Yeah. I've heard of this case. And I remember now after seeing the parents and that dad's ridiculous haircut um but the yeah this is unacceptable i mean this girl jordan deserves a freaking like a lottery or something for being so brave and saving herself and her siblings like they should be there should be a something a gofundme or something for them something god well there was something and it's still sort of ongoing J.C. Dugard, who we have covered before and who also had been held captive for many years, Mm -hmm. her foundation, Jace, had created a fund to receive donations for the 13 Turpin siblings. Amazing. So she said that the the people who helped her changed her life and, quote, now it's our turn to pay it forward. Stop. So it was like an ongoing donation for a while, and it looks like there is still a place to donate. So I will have a link to that in the show notes. And to end on a little bit of a happier note, ABC 2020 brought Jordan and Deputy Anthony Kalachi back together, and it was the most heartwarming moment ever. Yeah. Jordan hopes to one day live in a big, fancy house with a husband and kids. Mm -hmm. She was able to graduate high school within a year and is now taking college classes. Amazing. She loves being on TikTok, and she loves (laughs) to learn. And she has a plan to graduate college and either write a book or become a motivational speaker. Amazing. And she wants to get a good job so that she can give her future kids the best life possible. I love that. Jennifer hopes to travel the world and publish a book. She also wants to become a Christian pop artist. She actually has an amazing voice and is a really good songwriter. And she wants to help people with her music because she says music helped her so much. Wow. She is now in training to be a manager at a restaurant. Good for her. And the siblings are hopeful that they can be successful, and I truly think they will be, because they are doing everything they can to help their other siblings to live happy, safe lives, and they are so strong 
And I think we can all see that. Yeah. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Jennifer said, I want the last name Turpin to be remembered as a name of strength. And I think that it is. I do too. So that is the incredibly harrowing story of the Turpin siblings. And it just obviously is such a tragedy. But what is even more of a tragedy is what has happened to them afterwards. And like I said, before I researched this, I had no clue all that they had been through afterwards and are still going through. So I think it's important to continue sharing their story, even though the main beginning part of it is a little bit more well known. So thank you to all of you guys who suggested this because I wouldn't have known. Yeah, same. And, you know, if you have resources or you know of, you know, nonprofit organizations that can help this family, like reach out to them because I mean, getting like Haley, getting this story out to the public and, and, you know, sharing their misfortune that's still occurring is a sign that, they need more help. They're not getting any help. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, and they deserve yeah. it. They deserve it more than a lot of people. So, yeah, they really do. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening as always. Thank you for doing your part by listening, sharing all of that. And like I said, I'll share the fundraiser from JC Dugard's foundation. And if other things pop up as the lawsuit is ongoing, I'll keep you guys informed and if other donations or anything like that pop up i will definitely let you guys know but thank you guys so much for listening we will see you next week with a brand new episode and until then keep it human bye